Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, if you'd like to join us on a guided Zoom tour of the new website, uh, send me a, a, an email at info at lowlistbiblestudy.com and we'll be sure you get an invitation either for this coming Saturday or on Saturdays in the future. Uh, it's about an hour long and we work all the way through the website. We take your questions, we demonstrate how it works, and uh, I think you'll really like it. So if you would like to join us on a Zoom tour of the website, in info at logosbiblestudy.com and we'll be sure to bring you right in. Okay, here we go. We left St. Paul last time on board ship when a hurricane-force storm pushed the ship from Crete out into the open sea. And that's where we put in today. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lee of the small island called Calda, we were hardly able to make the life, lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that it was going to break up or run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. Sirtis is along the coast of Libya, southern portion of the Mediterranean. So they're being pushed south by that northern hurricane force wind. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. and Finally, we gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up because they were all sick. They were all, talk about seasick. They're all throwing up. The ship is being tossed. It's like the <laughs> like like the minnow and and oh they're in trouble so after a long time without food paul stood up and said <laughs> i love this men you should have taken my advice not to sail from crete then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss i told you so said paul isn't that just like paul but now i urge you to keep up your courage not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Oh, great. How's he know? Last night, an angel of the God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we better run aground on some island pretty quickly or we're going to be on the bottom of the ocean here. So on the 14th night, still being driven in the hurricane force winds, 14 nights, we we're still being driven across the Adriatic when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. Anyone who's a sailor, an open sea sailor, you know, when you begin approaching land, it, there's a different smell to it. And they sensed they were approaching land. So they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found it 90 feet deep. 
That means they're headed toward a shore. Now, fearing would be dashed against the rocks because they don't know what kind of shore it would be. Is it cliffs? They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let down the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, The sailors are abandoning ship. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers, rightfully so, cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and splashed down into the sea, and that was that. Now, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. It's winter. It's the Mediterranean. Very much like the Pacific Ocean in winter here in San Diego. The Mediterranean, during the summertime, the water temperatures may be in the 70s, low to mid-70s. In the winter, it's in the 50s. It's cold water. They haven't eaten in two weeks. So Paul urged them now to eat. For the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. The water is cold. You'll go into hypothermia really quickly. Eat some food. Build up some heat in your body. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing everything else overboard. All the grain, everything overboard. The ship is doomed. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. Oh, that's good, not big rocky cliffs. They decided to run the ship aground if they could. So cutting loose the anchors, they let them, left them into the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and they made a mad dash for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar with its bow and stuck in the sandbar. The bow stuck fast, it wouldn't move, and the stern was being broken to pieces by the surf. They're caught in the surf zone, trapped, and the surf is crashing against the stern of the ship. It's beginning to break up. Well, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from escaping. Remember? Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember the soldiers guarding Peter? Julius would kill the prisoners lest they escape, telling me once again that when he let Paul go ashore and spend time with his friends, Paul was not a prisoner. He was under protective custody. The centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. Everybody overboard. If you can swim, get out, get in the water and head for the shore. The rest were to get there on planks or pieces of the ship. You know, this is the very first instance in the Bible of seeing anyone surfing. <laughs> on boards, they headed toward the shore, riding the waves. 
In this way, everyone reached land in safety. So they all get to land on the shore, the bay, the bay of Malta. Once safely ashore, we found out the island was called Malta. We visited Malta many times on our journeys of St. Paul. Beautiful island, beautiful island of Malta. And the bay where St. Paul came ashore, it's called St. Paul's Bay, even today. And we've stood on that shore and looked out where the ship came in. There are two pieces of land jutting out into the ocean with the bay coming in the middle. And that's where Paul landed on Malta. What a thrill it is to be there, standing on that spot, envisioning the ship coming in. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. The Maltese are actually very nice people, and uh, I would love to go just on a vacation and spend a couple weeks on Malta. There's a little island just off Malta called Gozo, and uh, I love Gozo. I, I would live there in a second. But the Maltese people, the people from of, of Goza, um, they're just a, they're wonderful folks, beautiful islands, and a place that should be on your bucket list to visit. So the islanders were quite kind. They built a big bonfire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So they're in a storm. They've been in the water, 50 degree water. They're, they're all becoming hypothermic. So the Maltese built a big bonfire to get everybody warmed up. Paul helped. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Oh, great. With the islander, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said, oh, this man must be a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Great. After all the problems, Paul, on the way to Rome, being shipwrecked, in the water, hypothermic, he picks up the brushwood and he's bitten by a snake, a poisonous viper. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and they thought he was a god. So how is it that Paul did not die of the snake bite, a poisonous viper. Well, I remember taking desert survival school back in my Marine Corps days, and we learned how to live off the desert, outside of Yuma, actually, Yuma, Arizona. And uh, where do you find food in the desert? There's plenty of food in the desert, but uh, you have to catch it. Sidewinders, snakes. We learned, learned how to catch the snake and eat it. He just had to be careful not to be bitten by the snake. But uh, when a snake bites, it injects venom. Now, if that snake had recently captured prey, let's say a rat, injected the rat and ate it, it takes a while, several days, for the venom to build back up. So you can have a dry bite as well as a wet bite. Hope you get a dry one. And apparently, that's what happened here with Paul. And I suspect that if we turn over to the, uh, I'm gonna do this right now, turn over to the end of the gospel according to Mark, 
And we have an addition to Mark here in Mark chapter 16, I believe. Let me look. Mark, uh, here we go, turning the pages, almost there. Mark 16, yes. Mark 16. At verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. It's a great commission. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. And get this, they will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This is the only place in scripture where we read about they will pick up snakes and not die from the deadly poison. You know, I wonder, I think Mark composes his gospel sometime in the mid to late 60s. In my opinion, it's the first gospel written and it was written after this event after this shipwreck on Malta back in AD 60. Mark knew Paul. In fact, when Paul's in prison in Rome, for real, 64 to 68, he writes to Timothy and says, bring Mark because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So Mark was well acquainted with this story. And I wonder if he didn't add that portion of Mark chapter 16, in light of Paul being bitten by this snake and not dying. I think that's an intriguing possibility. In any case, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. The archaeological remains of that estate are still there and we visit that, at that site when we're on the island of Malta. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick of the island came and were cured. They, were on, they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. Paul will spend three months on the island of Malta, enjoying Maltese hospitality, which is wonderful. Wonderful Maltese hospitality and food, I might add. But now, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. So right about Yom Kippur, October, late October, early November, until now, February, let's say, winter is over and it's safe to sail again. All the ships had wintered on the island and they found an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux, the twins, who are two stars in the sky by which sailors navigate. A figurehead of those gods on the ship. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days, and from there we set sail and arrived at Regium the next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petulai. 
There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Do you remember in Damascus, when Paul had been blinded on the road to Damascus and the Lord said to him, you will speak to kings in Rome. Well, he's finally in Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him, to protect him. Paul will live in his own rented quarters in Rome for two years, awaiting his trial to come up. And he has a protective guard with him. Now, three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. Smart move on Paul's part. Paul has been accused by the Jewish leadership of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And as a Roman citizen, Paul has a right to face his accusers in court. So if Paul appeals his case to Rome, the Jewish Sanhedrin has to send a delegation to Rome to present their case. Now remember, Paul's been delayed. He was shipwrecked. He was three months on the island of Malta. Normally, it's about a two-week journey by ship from Caesarea Maritima to Rome. Three months have passed. Paul thinks, I better check in with the Jewish community here and let them know what's going on. So when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death or anything else for that matter. But when the Jews objected, I appealed to the imperial court in Rome. I appealed to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. And for this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. You need to know the backstory here. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And I can imagine Paul holding up a, a stack of legal documents when he says it. They replied, We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Apparently, a delegation from Jerusalem never showed up. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And from morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others not. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes 
Otherwise, God forbid, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. Now remember, there's already a Christian community in Rome. This is A.D. 60 to 62. And we learned on the day of Pentecost, A.D. 32, when Peter stood up and preached his sermon in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, there were Jews from all over the Roman Empire in Jerusalem for the festival, including many from Rome. So they witnessed the birth of the church. They stayed. They were among that group of believers who stayed in Jerusalem, overstayed their visit. The community acted in one accord. They shared what they had until it was time to leave. And those people went back to Rome and they took the gospel message with them. So the church formed sometime after AD 32, primarily by those witnesses who saw the Holy Spirit arrive in Jerusalem and who witnessed the birth of the church. So Paul already has a good community of people there. It's AD 60. Paul wrote his epistle to the church in Rome in 57. So you can be sure that Paul met with many of those people, those believers in Rome. And, well, we'll learn about that when we study Romans together. In fact, you want to study Romans, go to LogosBibleStudy.com, become a member, and the whole thing is open to you. Every single course, 22 of them, 450 video lessons, all for you. Well, that brings us to the end here of Acts and also to Friday. I'll be back with you again on Monday and we'll push on to something else. Haven't decided what yet, but we'll pick up a new topic on Monday. So blessings to you. Be sure to visit on the website. And if you would like to have a guided tour, a Zoom guided tour, live Zoom guided tour, just send us a note at info at logosbiblestudy.com and we'll send you an invitation. So good to be with you folks. Love all of you. Blessings to you. See you next week. Bye-bye now. <music>